0: stories, big guess the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Brinkinridge, weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. The well, last decade or so has been a pretty wild ride for Bitcoin, not just the ups and downs of the valuation. Uh, of the cryptocurrency, just the whole perception of cryptocurrency itself from something that seemed really radical and weird and underground and subversive to something that's being taken very seriously, not just by investors or financial institutions or markets, but even by governments. And so I think now, as you look over the next 10 years, it's going to be a very different decade when it comes to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Uh, at the heart of it all, though, are people. Uh, Those who helped create Bitcoin in the first place uh, and built up a network of cryptocurrency. uh, Those who helped promote it uh, in the early days. It it, it is a fascinating story. Uh, And our next guest uh, has written a new book, which explores it through that lens. It's called Once a Bitcoin Miner, Scandal and Turmoil in the Cryptocurrency Wild West. Author and journalist Ethan Liu joins us to discuss his new book, uh, which is available this week. Ethan, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program.
1: Rob, thanks for having me. Great to talk to you again.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating because you know cryptocurrency. It's it's um, you know it's a technology story. It's kind of an economic or a monetary story. You kind of tell it through the lens of of people, uh, including yourself, obviously. How how did you approach writing a book on on such a heady topic like this?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, so this book is very much narrative and character and plot driven. Uh, because I think lots of people look at this topic through either monetary policy or a or a computer science lens. But I feel at the heart of it, while this technology is new, it's a story all as the hills. and that that's why I've decided to take this route.
0: I mean, we're more or less coming up on on a decade of of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and, and almost a decade of of your own interest in this story. But can we sort of pinpoint the beginning of all of this?
1: Yeah, so the the beginning of all of this, it was, I think, early 2008, that was when this guy called Satoshi Nakamoto, and I say guy because most people are they're using him, but we, we don't know whether it's a person or a group, mm-hmm. and he started this, it was in this email, uh, email chain that people are emailing each other, he put forth this idea, and 2009, uh, that was when Bitcoin was introduced to the world, and... And yeah, it's uh, become very big since. And nobody has ever found out who Satoshi Nakamoto really is.
0: Yeah, isn't it fascinating? And and I think that's that's kind of where the book takes us uh, from this, you know, Wild West, as the title implies, to something that, that's much more established and almost, dare I say, conventional now. Uh, what do you make of just how, how drastically things have changed around cryptocurrency?
1: Yeah, I... Uh... I'm constantly amazed by how drastically things have changed. I, I remember back when I first heard about uh, Bitcoin, as I wrote in the book, uh, my friends and I were just fiddling about uh, on the dark web for, for no good reason. And back then, that was, the, uh, that was the only use case for Bitcoin. But now countries have made it legal tender. And I heard this story of uh, during the fall of Afghanistan when people were trying to escape and those refugees they uh, because of how bad the infrastructure is because of how bad the economy is they they can't take their money with them but there's this young woman who memorized her seed phrase so it's like the equivalent of a password and she went through turkey and iran not good places to be and her ship sank in the mediterranean she had nothing but the clothes on her back but because she memorized the passphrase she was able to have two bitcoins, and she had a new life for herself in Germany wow. and ultimately, I think yeah crypto is uh, really changing and affecting the world
0: it is in 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 a lot of different ways i I think you talk about you know the positives of it the the security of it um, on the other hand, you know there are those who still see it as as something subversive what what's What's your verdict on you know whether bitcoin is is a net good and and whether we're going to maybe continue to view it that way as it evolves?
1: Yeah, well, the, I, I think when people say uh, Bitcoin is good or Bitcoin is bad, they're, they're drawing different opinions but on the same facts because yeah. Bitcoin's uh, feature to some is also a bug to some. You know, the, the fact that it's so secure that it, you know, it can't be confiscated, if you have it, you have it. That means if someone steals it, they steal it. So there are cases of people being kidnapped and tortured to reveal their passphrases so i think ultimately you know uh, crypto bitcoin blockchain it's a tool and mm-hmm. whether it's good good or bad it depends on what you do with it
0: right And the whole process i mean the title's called uh, once a bitcoin miner and it alludes to this this process of bitcoin mining which it's it's not technically mining for bitcoin It's being rewarded with bitcoin for some some obviously very important uh work on the technology side but it it speaks to that whole technological piece that I, I think is difficult still for people to understand, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and, but I think ultimately um, I would question, do we really need to understand everything? Because yeah. most people, they wouldn't know what SMTP is, or they wouldn't know how mm-hmm. the email works, or you know what's an electron, how does the flow of it uh, make our world run? But ultimately we end up using, uh, we use, we end up using them every day. And I think there's going to be a future where uh, crypto and blockchain, they're going to be embedded in our world and people will will stop uh, trying to figure, figure it out because it's just part of every day.
0: Right. And, and again, we talk about the people featured in the book, and I mean, it speaks to the the very uh, colorful, shall we say, figures and individuals who were sort of there at the beginning of all of this. And part of your travels involved, in fact, uh, you know, you spent some time in Calgary meeting some interesting individuals, and, and there was a, a whole community almost that, that started to emerge in the early days.
1: Yeah, and it, it's fascinating. And I also feel that uh, crypto in a way kind of reflects Alberta because uh, I think Alberta is, uh, has a bit of a special place in this country. You know, uh, the, especially the West, you know, the, how cities were built, how populations boomed. It's uh, happened a lot quicker than in the East. It happened because of economic booms, because of the cattle boom, because of the oil boom. And so I think in general, the Alberta. It's it's younger, it's more entrepreneurial, more individualistic. And, you know, people came here seeking something. And I think that very much reflects the, the feel of cryptocurrency.
0: There's some notable names that, that are featured in this book as well. And one of them is, is Gerald Cotton, who was uh, really important, I think, in, in the Canadian story here around blockchain and cryptocurrency. Uh, somebody who died, shall we say, under mysterious circumstances. What What was uh, fascinating about his story to you?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what is fascinating is about how little I knew back when I met him. So, back then, it was 2014, and he looked as if he was running a very clean shop, and 2014, that was a time when there really weren't many ways to uh, to actually buy Bitcoin with Canadian dollars. You know, there were lots of American exchanges, but if you wanted to do it in Canada, uh, the place to go was Quadriga. And almost everyone had an account there. And at one point, it was to become publicly traded. And I had no idea that eventually uh, we will hear all the, these shady things that he's been accused of doing, uh, taking users' money and also uh, running scams when he was a teenager. So, uh, yeah, his, the fact that, I guess, the, the idea that he has died, it's, uh, quite unestablished in, in some circles.
0: Then there's the story of Virgil Griffith. And and I mean, I think it illustrates how cryptocurrency isn't just about monetary and, and technology policy. I mean, national security clearly comes into play. This is a story that links to North Korea. This is a story that brought you to North Korea. What, what do we need to know about the Virgil Griffith story?
1: Right. So first, uh, the, the story didn't actually uh, bring me to North Korea. I was in North Korea, actually, in a personal capacity. I... I did not expect the, any news to erupt from there. I did not expect that Virgil Griffith will end up arrested for what he said there. And so the, the issue goes back to the, the idea of sanctions, that nobody likes North Korea, and uh, the U.S. is leading the effort to buy from international trade, and cryptocurrency theoretically is, uh, is a way to get past all of that, because it's outside the traditional financial system. And so Virgil Griffith is accused of trying to help North Korea do this and he pleaded guilty uh last month and he's he's facing uh about six and a half years, give or take.
0: So you weren't there necessarily to cover this, as you say. So how did you end up connecting with, with Virgil? What what were you doing in North Korea to begin with?
1: Oh I I went there precisely because, you know, we've heard all these uh reports of what North Korea has been doing with cryptocurrency. And uh, the way the conference was advertised, I I thought uh, it was widely advertised anyone could go. And I thought I was going to go there and listen to the North Korea crypto people. I thought I was going to get like uh, an upfront seat, a first hand look into what North Korea has been doing. But it actually turned out to be the opposite. Uh, When we arrived there, they told us uh, you're not going to hear from North Koreans. In fact, The North Koreans are going to hear from you. And, yeah, lots of people, the presenters, they were making up stuff on the spot.
0: Clearly, the North Koreans, as you say, have an interest in in cryptocurrency, and there there are reasons for that. And, And it speaks to that bigger question, then, as we look forward, and maybe cryptocurrency, Bitcoin in particular, becoming more established but what about the national security ramifications? What about countries like the United States? Are, are they going to embrace this, or do the national security concerns maybe trump everything else?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think, like you said, the North Koreans definitely have a have an interest in this, and I don't doubt. I was only shown like a small curated portion of the country when I was there. Oh, sure. Yeah. But th- this is going to be, I think, it's going to be an issue with huge implications, and not just North Korea. I think North Korea. Uh, For all its bluster, it's a big player on the geopolitical stage. I think the bigger worry is is China, because China has been embracing this idea of a a central bank-issued digital currency. And I can very well see a day when uh, everyone in China uses the the China coin, or whatever you call that. And that is, uh, I think China sees it as a way to around the whole dollar dominance thing, which... uh, you know, uh, because the whole world uses the, the dollar that gives the U.S. a lot of power. So yeah. I think we're going to see a struggle with respect to that.
0: Uh, and through it all, and I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting because this is very near and dear to your heart, as we talked about at the outset. I mean, this is something that, that you got involved in uh, about a decade ago. You, you stuck through it, uh, through all of the ups and downs. And uh, it, it's something you're very passionate about, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And you know, I, I would uh, I would bring up that story about the the Afghan young lady, but uh, there's also another story about uh, th- this man called Vitalik Buterin. Uh, you know, he, own, he's the main co-founder of Ethereum, and he talked about how uh, he loved playing World of Warcraft, and he spent a lot of effort to build up his character to develop a spell, but one day Blizzard just the company behind World of Warcraft just took a spell away from him. And he said, that day I cried myself to sleep and I realized the horrors of uh, what uh, centralized services can bring. And I think ultimately uh, what Bitcoin does for money, Ethereum is trying to do for the internet because we spend a lot of our lives online. What we do online is, is very important to us, but we don't have any rights there. We are beholden unconditionally to the digital masters. and. Ethereum uh, is well, at the core of its uh, value proposition. It's trying to democratize this. And so I think it's going to be very important for our future.
0: Yeah, uh, important and fascinating. The book is called Once a Bitcoin Miner, Scandal and Turmoil into Cryptocurrency Wild West. Much more at ethanlu.com That's L-O-U. Ethan, a real pleasure. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: There you go. That's a uh, journalist and author, Ethan Liu, his latest book, Once a Bitcoin Miner. So uh, a bit of a history on Bitcoin, but kind of a history told through some of the uh, figures who featured prominently in this story. And obviously his own connection to all of this is somebody who got in and interested in Bitcoin uh, very early on. So Once a Bitcoin Miner, Ethan Liu, that book available, I think officially as of tomorrow. All right. We're going to take another quick break here back to wrap things up on a Monday afternoon right after this.